Hi, this is Beth Capici and welcome to the Never Perfect Podcast. I'm a psychologist and I believe that embracing the fact that no aspect of life is perfect actually makes us happier and healthier and motivates us to achieve more. It also helps us become more real and compassionate with ourselves and others. In my counseling office, I deal with a little bit of everything. So in this podcast, you'll also probably be hearing a little bit of everything. Not only professional advice, but also some of my favorite and least favorite personal stories. I'm also going to be interviewing people who are brave enough to share their stories with us. I believe that everyone has a lot to teach and a lot to learn no matter what their background is and in spite of their imperfections. You don't have to be perfect to be inspiring. Beth Capici, and today I'm going to be experimenting with recording a short conversation about social anxiety with my little miniature microphone that I gave up on um, a few months ago because it sounded like my S's were too uh, snaky or hissy. <laughs> um, but it could be really life-changing for me if I could use this little microphone instead of using a whole bunch of equipment. So I'm gonna try this and I've got 15 minutes before my next client gets here and I'm at my office. You're probably gonna hear some background noise, but social anxiety is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. And I would love to just get a little basic nutshell about it out there as soon as possible because it is so common and actually the most common subtype of anxiety. So the statistics I read said that 7.1% of the population had it last year, at least in the U.S., and that was adults. But as I was researching, I found some really charming statistics out there um, I thought it was pretty cool. I looked at, you know, how prevalent is social anxiety and it was dividing the population up into age groups like toddlers and then young kids and adolescents and then people aged say 20 to 40. And I found it really funny because apart from toddlers, it said common in every population, every age group. So that was kind of refreshing, and I don't know why it made me laugh a little bit, but it just said age, you know, elementary school, common, high school, common, young adults, common, every single age group. So for those of you that struggle with it, you are not alone. And 15 million adults have it. So it is definitely very, very common. So just to tell you a little bit about it, um, basically people with social anxiety get nervous in social situations and it starts with, you know, some common body reactions that are linked with anxiety, such as racing heart, breathlessness, maybe sweating, um, anything kind of like many panic symptoms and blushing is one. 
And it's very common for our nervous system to get aroused anytime that we are nervous or worried or anxious. And even though it's common, it really feels embarrassing to people and they worry that others are going to notice. And so they start overthinking it. And oftentimes they start avoiding social situations and their thinking patterns are really affecting all of this. So this is a key piece to the treatment, which I'll talk about is what you're telling yourself and what you're thinking in social situations really has a huge effect on your body reaction. So let's see, I'm trying to think what else to tell you, because this is definitely going to be short and sweet and I will for sure be putting out a longer podcast on social anxiety very quickly. So a lot of the classic symptoms of general anxiety apply to social anxiety, such as a tendency to underestimate yourself and a tendency to want to avoid situations that trigger anxiety. And there's a syndrome they call the spotlight syndrome, which is where you basically feel like you're in center stage and everyone's looking at you and everyone's judging you. And this is a huge piece of social anxiety, just a fear of judgment, a fear of humiliation, not wanting to be the center of attention and things like that. So avoiding those situations does not help, even though it's common to want to do that, that actually really limits your ability to grow. So a little bit about my experience with social anxiety. I spent the first seven years of my career working in university settings, and I had the opportunity to lead a few social anxiety groups. And it was really amazing and cool to see in the groups, to see people's eyes getting huge as other members of the group would talk about their self-talk or the kind of tapes that they were playing in their head in social situations. And over the years, I've shared some of these with clients and they just look dumbfounded when they hear like me describe, oh, this is a common thing that goes through the mind of someone with social anxiety. And it might be something like, oh, there comes someone I know. Do they want me to talk to them? Should I say hi? What if I look stupid? What if I say the wrong thing? Or they're going to an event or a gathering, a meal, and what should I talk about? I feel like I'm boring. What if I say something that sounds stupid? What if I speak up in a class and I say the wrong thing? And, you know, they literally paralyze themselves with anxiety because they're imagining all these negative outcomes, which is worry, and they underestimate themselves. And this is a very, very common pattern in people with anxiety is they underestimate themselves. So, it helps so much to know you are not nearly in the spotlight the way you think you are. And this concept of spotlight syndrome can be applied to body image issues or social anxiety issues or many, many things. Um, people are often so self-preoccupied and anxious themselves and have their own stress in their life that they are oftentimes only thinking about what they have going on or their own anxiety. So if you can sort of turn the spotlight in your mind away from yourself and put it a little bit more on others and say, hey, I want to make sure that I'm friendly 
and make other people feel more comfortable. A lot of people have this. Basically, 7.1% is roughly 1 in 14 people. Not that far off from 1 in 10. So, But even those who don't have social anxiety, they want to feel seen or noticed or cared about or remembered. And I think a lot of people with social anxiety feel unimportant or nervous or a fear of putting themselves out there. And so sometimes they pretend they don't know people and they don't say hello. And they don't realize that what may be coming across is, oh, that person's snobby or intimidating, or they don't like me, they don't know me, they don't remember me. So if you really think about it, what's the harm in letting someone know that you know them, that you see them, that you're friendly, that you don't bite? I call it giving people the welcome sign. A lot of people, I know it's kind of a, a little bit of a rude way to put it, but I'll just go ahead and say it. Um, people call it RBF, resting bitch face. And it's, you know, your resting facial expression is really important to be aware of. Do you look like you want someone to talk to you or do you look like you don't? And a lot of people don't realize how angry they look or how intimidating they look or how bored they look. And so once you kind of realize, okay, if I just look friendly and approachable and maybe say hello, smile, say a person's name, then they know there's a sign like I can talk to this person, this person, you know, likes me and they notice me. So that's a really basic but key piece, I think, in all of this. I also think coming up with some questions to ask other people is really important. So many people think, what am I going to talk about? I got to come up with some kind of riveting conversation. And when they realize, you know, if you can ask a few questions and show interest in people, you'd be shocked at how many love talking to you. Maybe share one or two things, but even in the worst case scenario, Whatever you think that is, if it's someone blew you off, someone was rude, someone didn't seem to want to talk or want to be your friend, you have to realize there are many, many, many different reasons this could be happening and not jump to the wrong conclusion, such as they don't like me, they think I'm stupid, uh, you know, I, I don't know all the different things that you might think, but in my previous anxiety podcast, I talked about multiple choice thinking And this is a really important way to interpret situations where someone seems to not be that friendly or to maybe blow you off. Um, You know, they could be running late to class. They could have social anxiety themselves. They could have just gotten, you know, a terrible grade on something. (laughs) They could be in a hurry. I know there have been a few times I've been at the grocery store and I've seen someone that I know and like. But I'm like, I'm in a huge hurry and I don't want to be rude or seem brusque. And so I sort of avoid them because I don't want to have to seem rude. So, you know, you have to be open to different ways of viewing things instead of personalizing it. And one of my actual favorite, I have two favorite personal stories with this. Um, One of them was from high school. This girl I grew up with named Sherry, she would be really rude sometimes. And in the mornings I'd say, Hey, Sherry. And she'd be like, "Mm." 
And I would think, what did I do? She's mad at me. Why is she mad at me? Probably happened like four or five times. And I would literally just think, what did I do? I know she's mad at me. And then like three hours later, she would give me this huge hug and be like almost over the top friendly. And I would be like, I am so confused. And finally, maybe the fifth time it happened, I put two and two together. She hates the mornings. And once she had like, I think she would drink Dr. Pepper and eat a candy bar at like 10 or 11, she would perk up. So that is a classic example of how you, your attributions or your theories about why something happened can really not serve you well if you kind of take them as fact instead of theory. And so if you can come up with multiple theories, it really helps kind of suspend this conclusion that, oh, I'm never talking to them again. They don't like me. I mean, there are hundreds of reasons that someone, you know, may not really be able to respond in the best way. So keep being friendly. Just make sure people know you're nice. Show interest in people. You can compliment people. You can say, how was that game last night? Or, you know, I love your shoes or anything just to kind of put yourself out there. And there is a difference between being shy and having social anxiety. And that's an important thing to talk about because if you really just aren't nervous, but you, you know, are a bit introverted or you don't like to make small talk, then that's okay. And this kind of comes back to my concept of the user's guide, like figuring out who you are, telling people who you are. I've been talking to some introverts this week about telling people, I love you. You're one of my favorite people. But after like three hours, I'm exhausted and I need to kind of recharge. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression that I'm mad at you or you've irritated me. Um, I have a, a child like this and, you know, he his favorite people will come over. And after maybe three or four hours, he's just kind of needs a break and to recharge his battery. And as a lot of you may know, introverts tend to recharge their batteries alone, whereas extroverts tend to be really recharged and energized by being with people. So that's an important thing to kind of think about. And everybody doesn't have to want to be your best friend. This is another thing, too, is like you all have unique packages, unique interests, strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, if you just put yourself out there and be kind of your most real self and know that you have a lot to offer people that, you know, the people who love the same kinds of things that you love will be drawn to you. I've actually had a few teenagers recently telling me, oh, I'm not good at making small talk um, or I think I'm boring. And, you know, regarding the small talk, I've said, you know, a lot of people don't like small talk and that's okay. Just tell people like I like to go for the deep conversation and I'm not great at the, the small talk. That is fine. There are so many people like that and they would say, oh, that's great. I don't like that either. So just, you know, kind of be who you are. And if you love talking about politics, then you'll probably find people who like talking about politics. And if you love playing jokes on people and being sarcastic, you can find people who love that as well. Um, not everyone is supposed to want to be your best friend. That doesn't mean they dislike you. I kind of make that distinction. Does someone not necessarily like you because they're not drawn to you or do they dislike you? 
there's kind of a big difference in disliking someone and just saying, oh, I mean, they're fine. I just don't have a lot in common with them. So try not to put so much pressure on yourself. And I really think almost everyone wants to feel important and they would like for you to make them more comfortable in their skin as well. They may feel like they're in the spotlight too. So try to just be yourself and don't worry too much about it. Easier said than done. Um, and actually groups are one of the best treatments for people with social anxiety. Sometimes groups are hard um, to get going, but individual therapy is great. But also just exposing yourself to those opportunities to you know, practice asking questions and being friendly and giving people a welcome sign are really amazing. And of course, sometimes medication really helps. I've seen some people really benefit from taking kind of an anti-anxiety slash antidepressant medication. So hopefully this is a good little start and we will definitely be addressing this again. So I have a short follow-up to the recording I did this morning on social anxiety and the timing was really uncanny because just as I finished the 15-minute recording on social anxiety, experimenting with my little microphone, the client that I saw immediately afterward, who is here for a completely different issue, um, about halfway through the session, she started talking about how she had social anxiety. And I was kind of dumbfounded because she does not strike me as someone who has social anxiety. She's very chatty and very social and seems like she could talk to a hole in the wall. But she said that she takes medication for social anxiety and that it has helped her a huge amount. And she doesn't think she would function nearly as well without it. Hers is specifically called Zoloft, which is a very common antidepressant slash anti-anxiety medication. And the reason I say that is because it confuses people when they are taking something classified as an antidepressant, which actually has a lot of anxiolytic effects. That's a hard word to say, A-N-X-I-O-L-Y-T-I-C. Um, so I have clients all the time that are confused about why they're taking an antidepressant to help their anxiety, but that's, you know, hard to kind of explain in a short span, but it is definitely done all the time and probably really antidepressants are the drug of choice for anxiety in many cases. So, but what she was saying is that she really thinks she would still struggle with social anxiety if she wasn't on medication, but she's around 40 years old. And I think that there are many people who, if they catch their anxiety earlier and kind of think differently and tell themselves different things and practice different habits that, they can really conquer it before it kind of gets more ingrained and more kind of just wired in to their physiology or their patterns. So it was really neat that um, she brought this up and it just goes to show that social anxiety is way more common than you realize. And even people that seem completely comfortable and confident are struggling more with anxiety or insecurity than we all think they are. So she used a quote. Um, she said that social anxiety just feels like such a feeling that you can't control. So, and she said she was painfully shy as a child 
and then somehow got more comfortable in college without medication. And um, she wasn't really sure why, but um, she's doing great. And um, she did describe just dreading going to social events and sort of building them up in her mind before she gets there. And then once she's there, sometimes it's really not too bad, but she probably overthinks it or overestimates how hard it's going to be. Kind of what we call anticipatory anxiety, which is really just a fancy word for, you know, worrying about things in anticipation of them before they happen. Um, And then she also brought up one other interesting point with perfection and perfectionism that I think might be really key for people with anxiety um, and social anxiety and really so much of life in general is they have the bar way too high and they don't realize it. So their standards are unrealistic, but yet they don't know that. And so that is really one of the the reasons I love getting people to think about their expectations and how realistic they are and why they tell themselves certain things, because these things can be paralyzing and they make things way harder than they have to be. So um, she definitely mentioned a variety of ways that she's perfectionistic and I suspect that this is a big reason that she gets overwhelmed in social situations is, again, so many people make them harder than they have to be and they overthink them instead of just be friendly. Just ask a few questions. And at some point, I'll get more into my background, um, but I one of the reasons I have such a big heart for shy people or socially anxious people is that my brothers were both much shyer Um, I don't know if they would have said they had social anxiety or more shyness, but they were both very reserved. And I think that I was often really friendly to people because I was afraid that we would make them uncomfortable if we were all super quiet and not talking to them. (laughs) And uh, my father was very, very friendly. He's an unusually friendly man. He loves people. And my mother is very sweet and kind, but she was very shy and reserved. And so I think that I just kind of decided I'll be super friendly to compensate for the quiet people in my family. And that just kind of stuck. And I was focused on making other people uncomfortable instead of, I mean, (laughs) comfortable (laughs) instead of picking myself apart and feeling like I was in the spotlight. So anyway, That was kind of a cool follow-up. My client did know that I was going to do this follow-up. She gave me permission to share some of her story. So I hope that's helpful. 